You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. This uh, morning's reading from the, uh, the Gospel of Luke are some of those kinds of teachings that we kind of wish Jesus hadn't said, you know, because now we've got to deal with the PR of everything. Did you hear what he just said? Was anybody paying attention to that gospel reading? It goes in that like file of, did you really have to say that? Could you have figured out another way to say this? It's not even really kind or compassionate. It's not like the nice Jesus we know where we would hear him saying, I've come to bring peace. He doesn't say that. He says, I've come to bring division. And he goes to great lengths to describe the kind of division in the family that he's bringing, supposedly, apparently. Parents in opposition to parents, households at odds with one another, in-laws against in-laws. Maybe that's the only part we're like, yeah, you know, that kind of, I remember that stuff. You may be thinking, finally, a Bible reading that my family can totally relate to. This is like, right, this is just speaking to me. Uh, But once again, Jesus is not just speaking off the top of his head. He's not just trying to be provocative for provocative sakes. He's not pulling things out of thin air, but... But this is why it's so important to understand um, the Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament scriptures in general. Jesus is speaking to a bit of an inside joke. That if you had heard him and you were a faithful Jew and you had known the prophecy of Micah, for instance, you would know, oh, he's tapping in to this this old story, this old word from Micah chapter 7, telling of God's judgment. I want to read this with you just to show you what what it is that Jesus is alluding to. In verse 5, this is Micah chapter 7, the prophet says, Put no trust in a friend, have no confidence in a loved one, for the son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies are members of your own household. Now notice, though, how this resolves in verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So this is what Jesus is referring to in his teaching. It's a lament from Micah. A lament is just a word that describes our groaning, that something is not as it should be. How long, O Lord? It's a complaint, but in a prayer. It's a complaint in a prayer. And this particular complaint that we hear from Micah is one of a family's dysfunction. And not just the nuclear family, like, you know, two parents and kids kind of thing, but the family of the household of God, the people of God, Israel. And underneath the surface of their dysfunction is the deeper issue of sin that's ravaging this family, ripping it apart. So Micah laments, oh, what sin is doing to my family. What sin is doing to the people of God. Maybe you can relate to that. And so when Jesus steps into the scene and picks up this Micah 7 prophecy and brings it into the present, this is the thing he's referring to, and he's actually lamenting. Oh, the way that sin has wrecked God's people. You think I've come to say, peace, peace, you're all good, when it's not all good and there's no peace. Jesus is saying, that's not why I've come. He's pointing to something else, lamenting this, yes. Justin, could you turn this down just a little bit? 
but bringing up something else in Luke chapter 2. Let's look at that. I want to walk through this again together with you, specifically verses 49 through 51. I want to read it again. This is what Jesus says. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Seeing exactly how bad things have, have become. And we look at the surface of things, and we look at the news, or we look at our own families, or we look at our lives and think, this is terrible. But God sees the inner working of people's lives. He sees the heart of society and the decay that's actually come to be. And this is the thing that Jesus is lamenting, even more so what sin, how sin has ravaged our lives and our hearts, and how passionate he is. Oh, I wish that this work was already completed. Jesus longs to complete the task that he has come to accomplish. Judgment. He uses the word fire here. That's a symbol or sort of a kind of an idea that represents judgment. And for those who believe Jesus' message about his kingdom, that it's close by, that it's at hand, when Jesus would come and one of the most often things he repeated was the kingdom of God is at hand. When he would say at hand, what he's meaning is it's like at hand. It's right here. It's so close. It's imminent. It's upon us. It's just around the corner. As a matter of fact, it's practically here, but it's not fully here, but it's here. This kind of middle space. So when Jesus comes proclaiming the nearbyness, the at-handness of his kingdom, those who believe this message of his reign and rule, they will hear the good news, especially in light of the way that the world has been. Oh, how we long, Jesus, for you to make this right. Those who receive his message of the kingdom by faith will know that it is driven not out of a hatred or out of a disgust for humanity or, or out of a, a, this sort of like cold judgment. No, but it is driven by this deep, deep love for his people, for his world that he created. This is really good news for people who receive it that way, who hear it that way. Jesus longs to heal. He longs to rescue you. Think about that. In the space and place and situation that you're in, all of that brokenness, the division you experience, Jesus longs to heal, to make right. And he's sick of waiting. Oh, how long, how long do I have to wait to accomplish this task of making all things right? So you can see how people who receive this in faith, this is like really good news, right? But those who reject the message, who hear the announcement, the kingdom of God is at hand, yeah, whatever. Or for some reason, it's just like too hard to wrap our head around or we're distracted in our broken world. For some reason, we can't receive this message by faith as good news. For those who reject this message, here's the news that Jesus relays to us. You'll be fighting this fight to make the world right all on your own. You won't have the support of God. You will get tired of the toil. You will fight so you have blisters on your hands. And then in the end, you'll realize that you are part of the thing that you're fighting, that inside of you there's also division and decay. And you'll turn against yourself and you'll turn against each other and you'll realize, oh man, I'm actually part of the problem. This is what will happen to those who can't receive the message of Jesus' coming kingdom. It's not rocket science, y'all. 
is what Jesus is saying. Without the help of God, the cycle of sin and division will continue. We don't stand outside of sin, like here's our broken world. A lot of us see our sin and our brokenness in the world, like in this space over here. And we stand over here and say, man, things are really jacked up. And for us to hear the message of the kingdom in this position, we would hear him saying, yes, come and judge. Go judge those people. Go fix those people. But what we don't realize is there aren't those people. We live here. What it means to be righteous and holy is to be the one who has nothing to do with this, but stands wholly outside of it. This is Christ. Who else could this be? There's no one else. We stand and live and breathe in this mess of sin and brokenness. And we are the ones who have the decision to see the signs of the kingdom, to hear that message and receive it in faith, say, come quickly, Lord, or to reject it. But without the help of God, without God's intervention reaching in and setting things right, y'all, we have no hope. It's the blind leading the blind over here. We need Jesus' help. And as big of an idea that this is, Jesus goes at length to say, y'all, it's, it's, it's like really not that complicated to see the signs. If you can read the weather report, if you can open up your phone and read like Apple weather, whatever it is that tells us like what's coming, if you can do that, you can read the signs that the kingdom of God is at hand. You can see what Jesus is about to accomplish. Put two and two together. That's all he's saying. The signs of spiritual crisis are everywhere, but God isn't waiting for you or for the world to sort things out for him. This is his job, his task, his judgment, just around the corner, ready to set things right. And for those who trust that God is just around the corner, his kingdom is at hand, and he's eager to set the world right with his justice, this is such good news. And we can respond in cooperating with that. Not resisting it, but saying, yes, Lord, and would you start with me? Those people in our readings from Hebrews chapter 11, you call it like the saints hall of fame, right? These are all the heroes of the faith, um, the saints. But what makes them saints is that there are people that said, yes, Lord, begin with me. I want your will to be accomplished in my life. That's what makes a saint. Not someone who has a perfect track record, who has no like criminal background or like paid all their taxes, whatever. That's like almost irrelevant. What makes a saint is someone who desires and welcomes the will of God and then cooperates. Now as a father of six, when I speak of like reading the signs um, and wanting to cooperate with the goodwill of God, um, I've, I think I've gotten pretty decent. I have, so I have six kids, but I have five girls, which is just like an X factor. It's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it just feels like it's five girls. You can imagine just one girl times five, right? There's a lot of girls and they're all really young and they're all running around like crazy. And just like two days ago, the tiniest one, my like favorite little precious one, Elliot, was sitting on the couch and she was like on a pillow and she looked a little unstable and her sisters were like dancing all over the couch and it was awesome. And in, I was in dad mode. And so I walked by and I grabbed a pillow off the chair. She looks like she's going to fall back and hit her head on the wood floor. So, you know, I just walk by and throw a pillow down, bam, right there, just in case she falls down because I'm reading the signs and I've actually got pretty decent at like saving my kids' lives. That's what dads do. Um, it's not that big a deal because, like, our moms could do that with their eyes closed, and they do that constantly. 
So we celebrate it when one time we get it right. But, you know, that's what it is. It's not that impressive, but, <clears throat> but it is what it is. Parents um, and even just adults, as you grow older, you can begin to read the signs, right? You can see things coming in everyday life. You start work and your boss comes in and you can read the mood and you go, I know how this is going to go, right? You can read the signs. So why is it we can read all of those signs but that we live like we have no clue what God is actually up to in this world. You know what I'm saying? I can spot my child potentially falling off the couch from a mile away, but I struggle so much with reading the signs that God is up to something in this world and he's establishing his kingdom and it's at hand and he's coming to set things right. Why is it so hard for me to see that? Can you relate with that? Instead, we bury our heads. We can't look. The world's too bad. Or rather, we want to turn it off because it's just too much. The signs that we read are the signs of despair out in the world, and we get overwhelmed, and so we just have this temptation to shut it all off. We turn off the TV. Too much evil, too much brokenness, too much corruption. Or maybe when you see your own life's pain, maybe caused by others, or the loads that we carry, those burdens that we silently in an isolated way, bear on ourselves and don't share with anyone, it begins to get too much. So we turn on Netflix, pour a stiff drink. Maybe we whip up some drama, pointing out other people's problems. Anything to distract us from the signs that things are not good with us. We want to hide from them. In fact, our whole world, it feels like, is just searching for that shut-off valve of pain and brokenness. How do we make this stop? How do we turn this off? But there isn't a shutoff valve. If there was, we'd have found it by now, I bet. There isn't a shutoff valve from pain. And we can't numb out. And friends, as Christians, we don't have to numb out. We don't need to. We don't look at the brokenness of the world and read those signs and say, that's it, it's over. Because there are other signs in our face, other signs at hand that we can see that tell a totally different story. So we don't have to look away from the pain. We don't have to numb out from our stress. But we can look face to face with it and invite Jesus to deal with it, to establish his kingdom in those places. This is Jesus' invitation to us, actually. Friends, to read the signs. To read the signs of his kingdom, even in this church. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Read the signs that Jesus is nearby and he is setting things right. And he's doing that with you, if you'll have it, if you'll welcome it. And we, we, when we read those signs out there, we're invited to not fix everything out there in the world, but we're actually invited inwardly to fix the things with Jesus in here. We can deal with the stuff, our own demons, in here. So Jesus warns us, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like those people who can read the signs in every other way, the weather, whatever, and say, uh, yeah, but we don't really know what God's doing in the world. Don't be like those hypocrites that sees the signs everywhere else, tries to ignore the problems that are lying within. Don't be that person who tries to shut it off and hide. Don't be that hypocrite, Jesus warns. Maybe you're afraid to face those sins. Maybe it's not that you don't see them, but maybe you're just terrified to actually turn in and like get a good look. Maybe that's the case. I know I've, I've felt that way before. Maybe you think it's up to you to fix 
whatever's broken inside of your life and you know you really can't fix it. Maybe that's just overwhelming. I've been there before. Can you not read the signs, friends? We, we have constructed like a 10-foot wooden cross to help us read the signs. That in fact, the kingdom is at hand. And that that brokenness and that sin has been dealt with in the cross. And that Jesus isn't somewhere far off that you have to kind of like decode to find his location and then say the right words in prayer and make sure you show up on Sunday. But he's actually present to you in your, by the Holy Spirit wherever you are. Read the signs. You're not on your own. This isn't up to you to fix the sin in your life. But by faith to be those that desire and welcome his kingdom and say, yes, Lord, would you sort out the stuff in my life? Would you offer me the forgiveness of sins? Would you pronounce forgiveness? And when we look to the cross, we see the sign that that forgiveness is true and verified. And that is freely available to us in the cross of Jesus. That's why we have visible signs in this church. Our church is loaded with it. In fact, the, the thing when new folks come to our church is like, yo, this, there's a ton of like stimulation going on in here. Lots to look at, lots to smell, lots to hear. Our church is loaded with signs of the kingdom. We're not just trying to be like cluttery as a church, but everything is thoughtfully arranged in place to give us a sign of the coming kingdom, the symbol of the gospel. God is present to you and he offers you the forgiveness of sins. Receive his kingdom, receive that forgiveness and come eat at his table. That's what these signs point us to. Even now, God is present and at work this morning here with you. Why do you think we parade around in robes and wave incense, ring bells, pray prayers in unison all together? It's weird, y'all, right? That's weird. Can we just admit this? That's weird. We don't go out in South Austin and see that. That's just strange. It's not typical South Austin behavior. But can you see how it being weird and strange is actually a really good thing? Because what's happening in the world, the brokenness, the division that Jesus was lamenting over, that's the status quo in the world. That's what we go out and say, yeah, another day, it's a Tuesday or whatever. Brokenness, sin. What's happening in here is wholly different. It's completely weird. It's strange. What's happening in here is God is reconciling all things to himself through his son Jesus by the power of his spirit. What's happening is here is captives are being set free. Lives are being changed. The sin that we hide doesn't need to be hidden anymore, but be confessed, put out in the open. And God heals us. That's weird. Read the signs. Just as an example, because a few people have been asking me about this lately. Um, incense. Can we talk about incense for a second? What the heck is incense about? What does that have to do with the kingdom of God? Um, God's people have been burning incense since they were Jewish. So like for thousands of years. And Rev so that's like the background, right? And then looking forward into the future, we see in Revelation that um, it is burning. Incense is burning in heaven for all of eternity. So as a church, we proceed the way things are kind of going. This is how it started. This is where it's headed. Like, why change things now? Let's burn some incense. There's a little bit of logic there, right? That incense, this tradition of incense is a sign of the kingdom where the prayer and worship of God's people ascend to the Father as a sweet fragrance, as an aroma. We even get a whiff of that and think, oh, that's sweet. That's nice. 
Luther would joke around uh, Martin Luther by going through the aisles and sensing everyone like Brit did this morning, sensing people, saying, because, uh, you know, back then, people would bring in their livestock and they would come straight off the fields and, they, you know, aromas, right? And so Martin Luther would incense everybody and say, well, it doesn't hurt, uh, but, it, you know, it, it helps a little bit with the smell. Incense not only produces this aroma for us that is a cue of the sweetness of the kingdom of God, but it also obscures our vision. When Dr. Stone's going to be up here waving incense in a minute, as we come to the altar, it's going to create this kind of spatial like uh, veil a little bit. And it obscures our vision, but in obscuring our vision, it reminds us that we actually can't see with just these eyes, but need the eyes of faith. God, help me to see what you're actually doing. Show me the signs of your kingdom. It reminds us that we need the eyes of faith to see those signs. Incense is also an offering. In the temple, it was part of the burnt offering that was offered to the Lord. We use it to bless everything in this church that is offered up to the Lord in gratitude. And that's why we smoke everything with this incense. The altar, you, me. And when we pray, and I'm, I'm sensing servants, and, or acolytes and acolytes are sensing um, us over here, we mark ourselves with the sign of the cross, receiving that blessing, say, yes, God, may I be sanctified because I'm the Eucharistic material that's set on the altar. May it be our lives that are offered as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Father. It's not just bread and wine that's put up here, but it's all of our lives. And so all of it is sensed. And when we do this, it's just incense, y'all. It's charcoal and some, like, frankincense and stuff, right? And we get the hypoallergenic stuff for y'all to try to help out a little bit. But when we light that incense and when that's happening as a part of our worship life, it's meant to be a, a, a smell that you don't smell often. It's meant to be strange and associated with these sacred moments and spaces. It's meant to be that sign of the kingdom, the sweetness of the kingdom. You want to know how good the kingdom is? Smell that. Oh, it's sweet kingdom is sweet. There's signs everywhere just like that. That's just one of those examples. Um, but now our table is going to be set. The water's in the tank of the baptismal font. Read the signs, y'all. We're not just playing church or walking through the motions. We're not just dressing up and pretending to do something. God is actually present and at work. His kingdom is at hand. Jesus is rattling us saying, would y'all please read the signs? and see what's happening this morning. He's at work and he's present, waiting for you to invite him into the mess of your lives and to offer those lives as a living sacrifice, a sweet fragrance to the Lord in Christ. To do this, um, we have to actually decide to put our faith in Jesus. These signs don't get us all the way there. Going through these motions won't get us all the way, all the way there. They're just cues to say, hey, wake up, put your faith in the one who's making all things right. Choose to follow Jesus. That's what these signs point us to. It's an invitation to recklessly abandon all vanity, all self-deceit and self-preservation in confession as we come to our knees in a minute, to be baptized by the fire of the Holy Spirit in our baptismal font, and to receive and eat the bread of life that renews our souls. These signs lead us to these places, to the gospel. So whatever story you have about yourself, friends, can I just invite you this morning, read the signs. That story is not bigger than the story that God is telling about you this morning. The story he's telling about us is that he's gathering us up as his children and making all things new. 
You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.